Give the kids just a second to get out of here. All right, so how many of you stayed up late last night to watch the ETSU football game? Go Bucks, yes. How many of you got up at 4.30 this morning after staying up late? feel like I'm running on straight coffee right now. Um, it's, this week has been one big emotional roller coaster, and the football game last night was not an exception to that. Um, like it's been just a week of, of highs and lows, and, and just really everywhere across the board. And I just want to like be like real... Like, honest, like, this is, like, as Tanner prayed, it's like, that's just so true that this whole series has just rocked me, and I, I really, I, I really hope that, that the timing of all this, that how everything has just worked out in a way that I never would have planned, that, that this would just all, like, show us this beautiful picture of our adoption in Christ, our adoption into the family of God, and I want to be very real this morning, um, probably a little raw emotion, um, and I, I just really pray that God would do something so much bigger than me, so much bigger than us through this. Um, I've also, I know that in this church there are not one, not two, but multiple people who have really difficult, painful backgrounds when it comes to earthly parents and earthly fathers, earthly mothers, earthly families. And I just want, like, for those of you, I, I prayed really hard this morning for you specifically, um, just that, that through all of this, that we would understand the gravity, the weight, the truth, the unmerited love of a father. Like, more than anything else, like, I have no perfect words other than Scripture, but I've prayed really hard for those of you this morning. I just want to kind of start off by apologizing because I feel like I've tried to cram a lot into these three weeks. I went back and was looking through my notes this week, and I was like, man, I have tried to tackle a lot in, in, in three very short weeks that very easily could have been five or six, probably. But... In the midst of the chaos, in the midst of the chaoticness, in the midst of the fullness of it, I, I really hope that we've come to see that, that being adopted, that adoption is not something man-made. This is not something that man created to, to deal with any sort of orphan crisis. Like, that orphan was God's plan that he established, that he created, that our adoption into the family of God was his plan A for revealing his glory to the world. That this was not something that we came up with. It's great that, 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 that mankind, that we can, can display that in the adoption of children. That we can display that in the love for the orphan. Like unknowingly, there many secular people in adoption are displaying what God has done for us in Christ. And last week we looked specifically at Christ. We looked at 
The work that, that he accomplished, that as he became man, as he left heaven, as he left perfection to come here to be like us, that he left perfection to step into our brokenness, into our mess, into our sin, and he took it to the cross. And that that is why we, as the church, understanding that, understanding what Christ has done for us, that now we can also step in to the lives of others, into the pain, into the hurt, into the difficulty. But all of that, like there is not one ounce of all that we've looked at in the doctrine of adoption, not one ounce of it that we can claim as our own. Planned by God the Father, it says before the foundation of the world, that Christ came, redeemed us so we can be adopted into God's family. Like that belongs to God. That was his doing. That is what he has accomplished. He has done it. that we, our response is the church to step forward into others' lives, in, into those that are hurting, with the hope of the gospel, not a hope that is rooted in this world, but a hope that is rooted in the gospel. And I hope I haven't glossed over any of this because it's so much of who we are to be as the church. And during our study in this, there is a really important aspect that we have not looked at. I mean, there's so much that we haven't fully explored. I mean, last week we looked, or first week we looked a lot at, like, planned by God the Father, that our adoption was before the foundation of the world. This was planned out by God. The last week we looked specifically at the work of Christ. But the work of the Holy Spirit is something that is so huge in this. I said in week one that all the members of the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, are intimately involved in our adoption. But I think all, all too often, I think this is kind of neglected within the church. Just the study of the Holy Spirit in general. I mean, God the Father, we're good with Him. The planned our, planned our adoption. This, this big, holy God, we're, we're good with that. God the Son became like us, died on the cross for our sin. We're good with that. But God the Holy Spirit, I think sometimes we're uneasy. We're, we're not really sure what to do with that. And what I want to show you this morning is that without the work of the Holy Spirit, you and I would not know salvation. That without the Holy Spirit entering our lives, you and I would never have looked or have seen or have felt our need for Christ. So what I want to do just really quickly is give you just a brief run-through on some work of the Holy Spirit. It's really brief to give us kind of a lens to see all the rest of this through. So just really briefly, the role of the Holy Spirit, it is the Holy Spirit's role to convict us of sin. John 16, you don't have to turn there. If you want to go ahead and start turning to Romans 8, you can. But Romans 16, 7 through 9, it'll be up here on the screen. This is Jesus talking to his followers. He says, nevertheless, I tell you the truth. Hold on, I started too early. It says, this is Jesus talking to the Holy Spirit. He says, and when he comes... He will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment concerning sin because they do not believe in me. Jesus says the Holy Spirit is who's going to come to, to convict of sin. That is a primary role of the Holy Spirit. And I think that, as just think of any time you're trying to help someone understand their sin. Sometimes start trying to show someone their need for Jesus that feels impossible. It's like, don't you see this? Don't you see your need? Don't you see the sin? And it is impossible because it's not our job to convict of sin. 
That is the Holy Spirit's job. Until the Holy Spirit does this, there is no conviction of sin. But also, the next role is leading to Jesus. Because look down, it'll be up on the screen. A few verses later, John 16, 13 through 14 says, Jesus says, When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you in all truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. So the Holy Spirit convicts of sin, but then the Holy Spirit leads to Jesus. Jesus says, he will glorify me. So the Holy Spirit's role is to convict us of sin. But not just to convict us of sin, but to lead us to Jesus. So without the conviction of sin, we're never going to see our need for Jesus. So the Holy Spirit doesn't convict, we're never going to see Jesus. But it's the Holy Spirit that does both. One more. The Holy Spirit is also the guarantee of our salvation. Again, 2 Corinthians 1, 21-22, Paul writes this. He says, And it is God who establishes us with you in Christ Jesus, and has anointed us, and has also... Sorry, iPad went out. And has also put his seal on us and given us his spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. We're going to elaborate on this one a lot more. But he says the Holy Spirit is the guarantee of your salvation. It's like the stamp that God puts on. It's like, this is the seal. This is how you know you are saved because you've got the Spirit. And this is just a, such a quick run-through of this. A quick overview. Like, there's so much more to the Holy Spirit. So much more. I mean, a couple months ago, we talked about the gifts of the Spirit. How the, the Spirit has empowered us, has gifted us to, to be a part of the local body of Christ. As we have a part to play. The Spirit has gifted us in these ways. But all of this is all a work of the Holy Spirit. So like it's with, all, with that lens that the Holy Spirit convicts of sin, that leads to Jesus, the seal of our salvation. It's this lens that I want us to kind of read through and walk through the rest of this morning with. Um, so I hope you're in Romans 8. I tried to give you plenty of time. Um, specifically, verses 12 through 17. I'm going to go ahead and read Romans 8, 12 through 17. He writes, So then, brothers, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. But if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirits that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. So I'm often really bad at this, but I want to kind of give you a roadmap of where we're going um, What's funny is like all through seminary and reading books, we say it's really helpful if you give people kind of a roadmap of where you're going. And I never do that, but listen for this. I'm going to tell you. This morning from this passage, what I want to show is that through the Holy Spirit and our adoption to the family of God, we can know safety, we can know assurance, and we can know our inheritance. Three words. Three words. Safety, assurance, inheritance. 
We've already talked about our adoption into the family of God. The planned out by God. Accomplished in, in Christ. But in the Spirit, we can know safety, assurance, and inheritance. All three things that we look for elsewhere. Three things that we look for elsewhere in this world. We look for safety in this world. We look for assurance in this world. We look for an inheritance in this world. We look for stuff. That's not where it's at. Safety. It can be a very vague word, but let me show you. Let me read verses 14 and 15 again. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you've received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. Abba, Father. Remember that Paul is writing here to Christians. I mean, he says, you have received the spirit. He tells them, you have received the spirit. So like, for Christians, you can hear this as being written to you. He says, you've received the spirit, the spirit of adoption, not the spirit of fear. But if you're not a Christian, also take note because he's saying like, this is what can be had in Christ. This is what can be had in Christ. Do you understand that right now, for Christians, like if you are a believer in Jesus, you're fully trusting him for salvation, that His Holy Spirit, He has sent to dwell in you. God the Spirit, third person of the Trinity, in you. And Paul is using this, this contrast. He's saying he's like the spirit of fear, of slavery, and then the spirit of adoption. He's using this contrast here. And the Bible uses, talks about slavery in, in multiple different ways. But here we, he talks about the fear of being a slave. The fear that is there. So I want to ask you, what kind of, imagine yourself, imagine a slave, and in whatever way you want to imagine that, in whatever context you want to imagine that, but what kind of security, what kind of safety does a slave have? At the mercy of the owner, at the mercy of the master, mercy of the one who is over them. I mean, you think of the Bible, even in Egypt, we see the Israelites in slavery. We see that a Pharaoh rises up who is cruel and unjust. And we, imagine that feeling of safety or lack thereof. I mean, do you feel the amount of fear there? The fear in not knowing when your next beating was going to come. Your fear of not knowing what you're going to be asked to do next. The fear of not knowing what tomorrow looked like. I think sometimes we can struggle to relate to this. Over the past three weeks, we've talked a lot of adoption, of foster care, of caring for the orphans. But I want you to put yourselves, just for a moment, into the shoes of an orphan. And I know that for some of you this is easier than others. I know some of you have childhood backgrounds that allow you to relate very closely to this. But what kind of security, what kind of safety 
does the orphan have? And I, I don't want to, I'm not going, I'm going beyond the traditional view of an orphan. You think of, if you look up, what is an orphan in the dictionary? It's going to say someone with no parents. Someone who does not have a parent. But I want to go beyond this. Because an orphan can be a permanent situation, can be a temporary situation. There are many functional orphans, I think, who have parents, but these parents are absent. Maybe they're absent through neglect or absent through abuse or just just absent. For these children, where is the security? Where is the safety? Is there not fear? Imagine yourself as a seven-year-old little girl curled up on a stranger's couch crying for mommy and you didn't know where mommy was. Imagine yourself as a two-year-old little girl taken from strangers to be, taken from your parents to be with strangers, literally shaking, shivering because of how scared you are. These are real situations. For the orphan, whether temporary, whether permanent, there is no security. There's only fear. Because your experience has taught you that adults can't be trusted, that, that you don't know what to expect in this world. Here in Romans 8, Paul is saying something. As Christians, we have something so much more. Let me read verse 15 again. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you've received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. Christians, like the, what I described above, the insecurity, the fear, the absence of felt love, that's not reality for Christians. Like through the Spirit, we can cry out the same way that Jesus did when he prayed out, Abba, Father. We see that in Mark. Jesus, in one of the most, what's going to soon be one of the most painful experiences of his life, the way he prayed was, Abba, Father. Do you understand that we too have that level of intimacy with God the Father? That through the Holy Spirit, verse 15 says, through the Spirit we can cry out in this way. I think we, it's easy to picture this as, this as we pray, this almighty God in heaven, this everlasting, holy, set apart, great, mighty. And that is absolutely a proper way to address God. Absolutely. But do you understand that we also, through the Spirit, can just cry out, Father, my Father, Heavenly Father. Like, I think we miss the intimacy sometimes. We miss the security in this. And I just love verse 15 where it says, For through the Spirit, you received the Spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry. By whom we cry. 
if not for the Holy Spirit, we will not cry out in that way. Like, that cry out to God is just a reflex action to what we've been given in the Spirit. It's the Spirit's job to convict us of sin. It's the Spirit's job to lead us to Jesus. Like, the security, the safety in that is that it's not on us. It's the Spirit working in us that caused this, 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 this response that is Abba, Father, in need, in worship, in dependence. If not for the Spirit of God, you and I would be orphans. Still in that Ephesians 2, 1 through 3 state that we've been talking about, without home, without a family. But God so graciously sent His Spirit into our lives that we might cry out, Abba, Father. Like Paul says elsewhere in 1 Corinthians that no one can say Jesus is Lord except through the Holy Spirit. Like, this is grace. Like, if not for the Spirit of God coming to us, we would still be wandering, lost in this world. I understand that I'm, gonna, I'm really saying the same things over and over again. And that's okay. That's what I want. Because only through this, only through the Holy Spirit can we know salvation. Only through the Holy Spirit can we know Jesus. I want us to understand this because we are so prone to look elsewhere for safety. Whether it's in stuff, materials, a job, a spouse, anything in this world, that's not where our safety is. It can't be. It can't be. When we think of caring for the orphan, as we talk about the widow, the, the sojourner, the prisoner, anyone you want to talk about here, as we talk about this, there's people looking for safety, looking for security, looking for assurance, living in fear, living without a home. Whether it's temporary or permanent, like, Caring for the orphan is stepping in when things are broken. Stepping in when things are messy. It's stepping in where this fear is. And it's stepping in with the hope of the gospel that is beyond this world. It's beyond anything of this world. It's stepping in for children. Maybe even if it's temporarily to provide safety, security but it's stepping in with the gospel on display because of what we've been given in Christ. Okay, I spent way longer on that than I intended. Um, so look at verse 16. Look at verse 16. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. I read this verse probably a hundred times this week. Just like running over through my head. Like, what does this mean? What is, what is Paul saying here? Like, what is here? And here's what I keep coming back to. 
when it's the Spirit, the Holy Spirit of God, that knows the heart of God, is testifying that we are children of God, we can have assurance that it's true. I mean, let me read 1 Corinthians 2, 10 through 12, 2, 10 through 12 for a second. This is Paul talking of the Holy Spirit. He says, These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except the spirit of that person, which is in him? So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. Now we have not received the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. Catch all that. The Holy Spirit that knows the heart of God, that is God, that searches the heart of God, is the same Spirit that He has sent us, the same Spirit that dwells within us. And I think this is beautiful. The assurance is here. Because this means that even when we doubt, even when we struggle, even when we feel pain, even when we hurt, even when we are prone to wander away, Even then, the Spirit of God, who knows the heart of God, is crying out that we are children of God. I want to show you this from a passage that doesn't actually talk of the Holy Spirit specifically. If you want to turn to Luke 15, I invite you to do so. Um, Luke 15 is a well-known passage. Um, It's the parable of the prodigal son. Um, one that many of you are probably familiar with. Uh, I was going to spend a whole Sunday just on this passage, and I probably will at some point. But this is Jesus I'm teaching here. I just want to start off by reading the first couple of verses. I'm going to start in verse 11. And Jesus said, There was a man who had two sons, And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into the far country. And there he squandered his property in a reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into the field to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods the pigs ate and no one gave him anything. So we see this son has gone to his father and asked for an inheritance, asked that he would be given his inheritance and the father gives it to him and he goes and, and squanders all of it. That he finds himself in need, he finds himself hungry and he's working and feeding pigs and he's like, I just want to... Have what the pigs have to eat. Let's let's keep going. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread? But I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. 
So he begins to realize his foolishness. He begins to realize what he has done. And he's going to go and ask his father to be a servant. What I love, and for another time, is that he starts practicing his speech when he goes home. Uh, I think that a lot of people can probably relate. Um, but let's, let's just continue. Verse 20. And he rose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him. And put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. And bring the fattened calf and kill it. And let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Imagine yourself reading this for the first time. For the very first time. I mean, you're picturing this, man, this son's going to get what's coming to him. Like, he just squandered this inheritance that the father would have worked hard to earn, but he's, he's gone, he's blown it all. Like, this, this dad's going to lash out. This dad's going to just give it to him. But what does the father do? He runs to his son. He embraces his son. He kisses his son. He gives him the best of the best. There was a big party. He just lavishes on him this unconditional love. It wasn't what he deserved. It wasn't what he had earned. Why would the father do this? Because he was a son. His place, his role, his, his position, his position as an heir was not contingent on his actions. It was not contingent on his abilities or what he earned. But it was contingent upon his place as a son. I've heard stories of very faithful Christians whose children have, have wandered off into the world, have rejected them, have, have rejected their faith, have, have, have ran away. And these parents pray night and day for their children to return, to return to them and their family, but also to return to relationship with God. And in this situation where a parent is praying night and day for the return of their child, if that child were to return, what do you think that reception is going to be? Is it not welcoming as a son, as a daughter? Because it's their child. It's... The, it's their son is their daughter. This parable can be applied in so many ways. I didn't even touch on the older son. So many ways, so many different things we could look at here. But this parable, like we should all be able to relate to this. Like each one of us should be able to connect with this younger son chased the world, wanted the world more, wanted what it had to offer. But with what we're talking about this morning, praise be to God that it, through His Holy Spirit, He called us back, convicted us of sin, showed us Jesus. 
Because He had planned our adoption before the beginning of the world. Like, we can relate to that parable. We can relate. But if not for the action of the Holy Spirit, we would never have turned. We would never have thought that God's way was better. We would never have run back to a Heavenly Father. We would never have run back to a good Father. I was like, just see this beautiful picture for just for a second. This picture of adoption. This picture of adoption. Because not even our own sin could derail his plan for adoption to display his glory through adopting us. It's just really overwhelming when you look at it. I want to read verses Ephesians 1, 3 through 5 again. We spent a lot of time here the first week, the first week in the series, but let me read verses 3 through 5 again. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ. Christ, according to the purpose of his will. The Holy, like the Holy God of the universe, planned adoption before the foundation of the world, planned to adopt sinners into his family. The same God sent his son into the world to die a death that you and I deserved, to see that our adoption was accomplished. This same God sends His Holy Spirit into the world to call us back when we sin. See, like, our assurance, our assurance doesn't lie in us. Our assurance doesn't lie in what we do. It doesn't doesn't rely on our obedience. Like, our assurance lies in God. In His Spirit that He put to draw us back to Him. I want you to think of children in this world again. Whether temporary, maybe they're temporarily in the state of an orphan, maybe they're permanently there, maybe they're functionally there through absentee parents. But there's no assurance. There's no assurance. Like I've seen this over and over again. Like fear of the unknown. Fear of Safety. But there's been times like that Brenna and I have been asked, and I know this is really hard, but like we've been asked, when can I go back to mommy? And I gotta say, I don't know. I can give no assurance to a child. confusion, this hurt, this pain, and I got nothing to give. I got no assurance on this world to give them. Like, I'm in no place to offer ultimate security. Like, I can't offer that. To make this real, I'm going to read you something that I wrote last Wednesday afternoon, if I can make it through it. Um, 
as many of you know, Brenna and I had this sweet little two-year-old girl um, in our home last Friday. We didn't know how long she was going to be in our home, um, but we knew that we were going to love her until she was not in our home. And even then, we would still love her. Um, but so on Wednesday of this week, we get a phone call at 11.30 a.m. that says that a distant family member who um, doesn't even know this girl really, the girl doesn't know her, has, has stepped up and said that they'll care for her. So be here at our office in an hour and a half. So we went um, really quickly, gathered everything together, threw everything in bags, and, and went. And after we got home, as I immediately went to the backyard to mow because I didn't know what else to do, um, and I came back inside, and I'm just going to read this. Brenna and I just went and dropped off a little girl who had just learned to trust us. We took her to a place she wasn't familiar with and to a stranger she didn't know. As we put her down, trying to coax her to go to this family member, she clung to us as the one she trusted. Brenna and I just turned to leave. Like I could hardly look at this little girl any longer. Here we were, the people she had learned to trust over these five days. Here's this girl who we had spent five days showing her that she could trust us. Here we were, turning our backs and walking away. Something this two-year-old would never understand. All I could think to myself, seeing this fear in the little girl's face, is how cruel is this? How cruel is this world? How cruel is this system? This little girl had gone through so much over the past five days, things no child should ever go through. And now the people she learned to trust, the ones who she had run to for five days when she was scared, these people were walking out the door as she was coming towards us with her arms up, crying, Mommy. This world is not fair. My heart was breaking for this little girl. Brent and I just went out to the car and cried. What else was there to do? The only emotion going through my head and my heart was that we had just let this little girl down, that we had taught her that she could trust us. And now we had broken that trust, and it was completely outside of our control. This world is cruel. This world is broken. This world is sustained by sin. This world is groaning under the weight of this sin. Foster care, adoption, caring for the orphan, this is by no means exempt from this brokenness. But you know, as children of God, we never, never, ever have to be in this place. We never, never, ever have to watch God turn his back. Once we are adopted into the family of God, it is final. There is no going back. It's a done deal. Our God ensures this. In a moment with what I thought was probably the most painful moment of my life, it felt like God was showing me more of what he was like. That he's a God that's not leaving. He's a God that is not going anywhere. He's a God that is not like this world. That the brokenness we see all around us, that it does not describe our God. 
that because of what God has done for us in Christ, children who he sent his son to die for, children whom he sent his spirit to reside in, we don't have to wonder, we don't have to fear, because we have the almighty God, his father. That God has declared to his children, I will never leave you or forsake you. No matter what we experience in this world, we have a God that is infinitely better than anything that we could ever hope for. Knowing God as Father transcends everything else. In the arms of God is the only place there is safety. It's the only place there is assurance. No matter where else we look for it in this world, that's the only place we're going to find it. Though this world is hurts, it being in this world hurts, it is broken. Ministering in this world is hard. But there is rest in the arms of a good God. We're not done yet. Romans 8, verse 17. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him, in order that we also may be glorified with him. You and I, sinners, the prodigals, the ones who chased the world, the ones who thought we knew better, heirs with Christ? Heirs with Christ? Like, this makes no sense. This is God. This is what God has done. Listen, this is back in Ephesians 1. Ephesians 1, 11 through 14. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who are the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance, until we acquire possession of it, to the praise of his glory. An inheritance of a life lived with God in a world that is not broken, in a place that is far better than you and I could ever fathom. An inheritance that we've been given, the mark, the spirit that we've been given as a seal of our salvation. Listen, we've been talking a lot of our adoption to the family of God. It's not plan B. This was, not, this was not a backup plan, but this was God's plan to display his glory to the world. That he sent his own son out of perfection, that Jesus left perfection, came to us in our brokenness and took that brokenness, that sin, to the cross so that you and I might have a hope that is beyond this world. So we might know security, so we might know safety, so we might know assurance, so we might know inheritance. But it's not done. Like, we have not received this final portion of our inheritance. 
There was a good month when I read Revelation 21, I think, every single Sunday morning. And I'm going to read it again. I'm going to read Revelation 21, 1 through 7. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming back, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And he who is seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. And the one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. This is what lies ahead for the Christian, for the sons and daughters of God. No more crying, no more pain, no more death, place where no more orphans, no orphan has walked away from, a place with no insecurity, a place with no doubt, a place with no child longing for a family, a place where every single person knows the love of a perfect father, a place where we can rest in the arms of our God. Let's pray. God, there's nowhere else we can look. There's nowhere else we can hope. There's nothing in this world worth clinging to. But God, I praise you as the God that Set your spirit into our lives. That we can know what safety is. That we can know what assurance is. That we can know of the hope that we have in Christ. God, don't let us look to this world. Don't let us look to what is broken. Father, lead us to cling to what is real, what is true, what is not fleeting. God, I just I can't praise you enough for what you have done. For loving me, though that is so far from what I deserve. God, thank you for Jesus. 
God, I pray that you would just draw praise from your people. Show us what being children of God looks like. God, show people even today for the first time what it means to be a part of your family, what you've done in Christ, what you've done through your spirit. God, all the glory is yours. All the glory is yours. In Jesus' name, amen.